morning, everybody. All right, so we, like I said, are beginning a three-week series here um, where we look again at our three values. Um, we do this kind of roughly on an annual basis. Um, we want to stay centered on what's most important, keep the main things the main things. Um, so if you've been here for a little while, what are our three values? Gospel, community, mission. Okay, gospel, community, and mission. So this week, gospel, and then the next two weeks, community and mission. And then we're going to be heading back into Genesis. So we're going to pick up where we left off, um, which is chapter 37, the Joseph cycle. Um, and that should take us through the fall. So this morning, um, we're focused on the gospel of Jesus, and we're going to look at that in Second uh, Peter. So before we do, I just want you to think here with me about... Um, these values and our purpose statement as a church. It's on the front of the bulletin, so you can see how these things hang together. So we exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. So that's how we state it. I mean, you could say we exist to glorify God, um, enjoy him forever, and to help other people do the same. That would be another way to say it. Um, but the whole point is, everybody's made in such a way by God that we're all little reflectors giving off the light of what we love. You ever notice that? We all do it. So we were made in the image of God to reflect his glory, to show the world how good and great he is. So we were formed to reflect his glory. And then as we were fruitful and multiplied, then we would fill his earth with his glory, with his love and his grace and his kindness and goodness and truth. So, unfortunately, if you know the story, we ended up getting deformed, right? So sin entered in in the garden, and the lens of our life that was supposed to reflect the glory of God, it got shattered, it got distorted, it got dirtied. So we don't reflect the light of God's glory, and we actually kind of prefer the darkness um, by nature. We end up worshiping and serving, setting our lives on created things rather than the creator. Um, and then our lives reflect the worth of those things. So spend a little time around somebody, you know pretty quickly what, they, what they're into. So it could be cars, it could be, you know, the entertainment, the TVs, the movies that they love, the food they love, the hobby they have, whatever it is, they're worshiping and serving a created thing instead of the creator. So I mentioned this at Josh and Chelsea's wedding yesterday. Um, sin is like, you know, if you had this woman, this fiance, once she received the engagement ring, she told the her fiancé to bug off. Like, this is all I want. This is what I wanted. So I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You'd be like, that's crazy. Why would you take the token of that love and send away the substance, the person? But see, when we take the gifts of God and we focus on those things and we tell God to shove off, we're doing the same thing. See, we're supposed to be set on him. He is the fountain of all joy and peace and love and satisfaction and everything, and we turn away from him and we try to satisfy ourselves in created things, it 
never really works. We move from one thing to the next, or we think, well, if we just had a little more, then it would work. But it never does. So we're deformed. Okay? We're born bent, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for something other than God to satisfy our souls. So that's ugly. You can imagine how ugly that would be for a fiancé to do that to her um, you know, husband-to-be. And we've done that to God. We've just told him to shove off. So we deserve to be judged, destroyed. But instead of that, Jesus actually took the full force of that judgment that we deserve in our place. So we trust in him, and as we trust in him as our Savior, he rescues us from that deformity, and we're made new. We're reformed. We're transformed by the gospel, okay? So that we can once again reflect the glory of God. We can once again shine with his light and his love and his truth. So transformed by grace, and we are conformed increasingly to the image of Jesus. That's what it means to be human. That's what it looks like to shine with the light of God's glory. So it's kind of a fairly good summary of the story of the Bible, of redemption. Formed, deformed, transformed to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay, all little reflectors giving off the light of what we love. We're all set on something. If I spend a little time with you, I'll probably find out what you really are into, what you really love. We're all worshipers. We're all, you know, we've all got kind of functional saviors, functional gods. Well, if I have this, then I'll be happy. And we all enjoy company with those who enjoy what we enjoy. And it even happens with the most introverted among us, right? The gamer community. Sometimes people that don't want to hang, but they get together. I'm not saying all gamers are introverts. I'm just saying... There are some people that just spend time in their room, but they end up in a community. And they share the same, you know, if you, if you love cars, you're going to hang out with people that love cars. If you love food, you're going to hang out with the foodies. If you love certain, you know, if you love the eagles. Okay, there we go. Um, we'll leave it at that. So... We all enjoy company with those who enjoy what we enjoy. And guess what? We're all evangelists. So, you know, somebody got a great deal at this place. This person is gushing to her friends to commend that. You got to go get in on this. Or maybe there's, you know, again, a TV show or a movie or whatever. We just... We talk about what we love. We commend it to other people. We want them to enjoy it too so that we can enjoy it together. So do you see it? Gospel, community, mission. And then there's the substitutes. You see it? Everybody tracking? Okay. So we're actually made for God. And the only way that we can get into God is because of the gospel. Because he comes after us and opens our eyes to what we really need. And then we get together with other people who are just as needy. We say, you love Jesus? I love Jesus? All right, we're brothers and sisters. This is good. And if we know Jesus, like we got the best news in the world and we can't help but share him with other people. 
people shouldn't be able to spend too much time around us without saying, man, this person's really into Jesus. So, if that happens, do you see how the values flesh out the purpose statement? If we're changed by the gospel, if Jesus is our main thing, we're going to love each other well, and we're going to share that love with those who don't know him. And we will reflect the worth of Christ. We'll show the world that he's our treasure. And he gets glory, and other people get help. Because what do they need? What do I need? What do you need? What does the world need? We need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need a Redeemer. So, do you see how it all hangs together? Okay? So, we need refreshed on this. We need to come back to the main things over and over and over again. And 2 Peter is going to help us here as we consider it this morning. Okay? So, we're focusing on the gospel and this language at the end of growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. All right, so <clears throat> we're looking at the bookends. So the first point, we look at the front end of the book. Second point, we look at the back end of the book. And then the third point, we try to make it practical, um, as practical as possible um, as we seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So first point. There's an outline in the bulletin, or you can follow along on the slides here. Um, so God has granted us all things. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 4. Simeon Peter, which is just, don't get thrown off by that. It's simply a Hebrew spelling of Simon. Okay, so Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter is like the apostle. And he's writing to a primary, primarily a Gentile audience. Okay? And these believers might think, you know, Peter's like way up there. We might even think, you know, apostles are, there's certain people that are saints that are way up there. And Peter's saying to them, no, we are on equal footing. Like, I think that's just worth noting right there. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he's saying, no, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. We've all obtained this equal standing with God. We're made right with God, got his grace. We're reconciled to him. This is great. Because the gospel, the kingdom of God, is not a popularity contest. It's not a meritocracy. It's not a caste system. It's not a corporate ladder. It's grace. It's peace that's a gift for spiritually bankrupt, weary, restless souls that have found rest and peace in Christ. So, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with the apostles, that's, that includes us if you're in Christ, if you're trusting him. And all of that comes through the righteousness of God in Christ, the work of Christ and then his righteousness applied to us. Our sin gets imputed to him on the cross. It's a great exchange. Our sin is imputed to him, his righteousness to us. We're clothed in his righteousness. So all of our filthy rags, he paid for that on the cross and he gives us his white robe of righteousness before God. We're justified. We are right with God. We're at peace with him through Christ. 
May grace and peace, verse 2, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. (laughs) God's not stingy with his grace and his peace. He wants it to be multiplied to us. But notice the means by which that grace and peace is multiplied to us. It's in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So it comes through knowing God and knowing Jesus. Verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So, again, this is all grace. God is granting to us by His divine power everything that we need to live in a way that glorifies God, to reflect his glory, to be God-like, godly. Okay? And it, again, comes through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God. Divine power has granted us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of God. Verse 4, by which... So that glory and excellence by which he's granted to us, again, more grace, more gift, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So that doesn't mean some weird way we like get merged into God or become God or something like that. It means that we are changed to be more like God. We are conformed to the character of Christ. And that happens through knowledge, again. And these promises, if you're going to have, if you're going to be changed by the power of these precious and very great promises, you've got to know them. Right? So it assumes we need to know the promises. Now, we're actually not going to look much at what's in the middle of this book, okay? We're considering the bookends this morning. But in a nutshell, in between, Peter's having to address threats to the health of the church, false teaching that's creeping in, which is the opposite of the true knowledge of God. Okay, so they've got to watch out for that. He's warning the churches that he's writing to to take care lest they be infected with that false teaching and it's going to poison their souls and it's going to carry them away and deform their souls, right? Destabilize them. And they would be kind of choked out if we use that organic metaphor. Choked out, they'd be unfruitful and ineffective. So he's saying, take care and grow. Take care so that the environment is healthy. The soil is healthy. So you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number two, grow to know what is yours. Now we're looking at the tail end of the book, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. Take care that you're not carried away and then you're going to lose your stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So do you see how the tail end of the book, the end book end, ties in with the front end of the book? Do you see it? Do you see the themes that relate to each other? 
Grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus. And then grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So all we need for life and godliness has been given to us through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence. And by that knowledge, he gives us his great and precious promises so that through them we can be changed and made more like Jesus but we need to know those promises, right? So it's all granted. It's all grace given to us. So all the past grace, what God has done, the present grace, what he is doing, all the future grace, the promises, it all comes through Jesus. And all of it is so these churches and us, that we would be stable and secure and conform to the image of our dear Savior. Okay, through his precious and very great promises. So, this theme of growing is front and center, growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, or you could be saying, you could say it like, just keep the gospel at the center, keep Jesus at the center. So, C.H. Spurgeon said this, he who grows not in the knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of Jesus, refuses to be blessed To know him is life eternal, and to advance in the knowledge of him is to increase in happiness. He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. Whoever has sipped this wine will thirst for more. For although Christ does satisfy, yet it is such a satisfaction that the appetite is not choked, but wetted. If you know the love of Jesus as the deer pants for the water, so you will pant after deeper drafts of his love. If you do not desire to know him better, then you don't love him, for love always cries nearer, nearer. Absence from Christ is hell, but the presence of Jesus is heaven. Do not rest content without an increasing acquaintance, knowledge of Jesus. Seek to know him, know more of him in his divine nature, in his human relationship, in his finished work, in his death, in his resurrection, in his present glorious intercession, and in his future royal return. Live close to the cross. An increase of love to Jesus and a more perfect apprehension of his love to us is one of the best tests of growth in grace. Okay, that's what Peter is exhorting us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So last point here, I just want to make sure we think about this in ways where it sinks in, it's practical, it's um, maybe something we can take with us and ponder. We're going to use the language of saturation for this series, this time through, okay? So gospel, saturate your soul. Next week, community, saturate your family, your church family. Brothers and sisters, certainly your family, like in your house too. And then lastly, mission, saturate your city. Like, don't you want this city to be saturated with the grace and truth of Jesus? Like, don't you want to see more and more people know him and be changed by him? Like, couldn't Wilmington use for a little more Um, people just made new and thrilled with how great Jesus is and what he's done. 
hope for the hopeless, like people just freed from, I mean, it's just we could tease it out in a million ways. Just love to see the power of Jesus on display in our city. So that's what we're going to focus on and pray for. Okay, so saturate your soul this morning is, is this last point as we try to, you know, just ponder what does it mean to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? How can I pursue that? Um, so maybe this kind of metaphor illustration can help. It's been helpful for me to think about, <clears throat> actually Tyler and I are reading a book called Gospel Fluency um, that uh, has a lot of these thoughts um, in it as well. So if you're going to learn a new language, what do you need to do? So, Neil and Cheryl, do you know anything about this? Okay. If you're going to become fluent, what do you need? Full. What's? Okay, yes, you do need that. Somebody said it. Immersion. Yep. Isn't it helpful to, like you could try to study Spanish here, you know, in books but you get on the ground there and everybody's speaking Spanish and there's no opportunity to do otherwise. Um, You know, learning curve. So, so, the gospel in a sense is almost like a new language, a new culture. And we need to so soak ourselves, saturate ourselves, that we get to the point where we dream in gospel. Like, you know you really get in a language if you dream in it, right? I don't know. When did that happen for you guys? Did that ever happen? Um, I think I do dream in English, so that's good. I'm fluent in one language. Um, So, anyway. So, if you think of culture and language, like, prior to the fall, what, what what was it like? It was perfect love and grace and truth And then the liar enters in with this forked tongue. Did God really say? And now our native tongue as human beings is forked. And the culture of this world is certainly not love, grace, and truth. This world is filled and saturated with selfishness and anger, and it's full of spin and lies, right? And so for those of us, like, just think back before you became a Christian, the gospel probably was kind of like gobbledygook to you. Didn't seem like good news. It's like a foreign language. So you worship a Middle Eastern peasant that lived 2,000 years ago that, like, I mean, go ahead and start talking about the gospel. It sounds crazy, unless it's true unless God really did take on flesh and bones in order to save us. And he rose again, like for real. And when the light bulb goes on, all of a sudden gobbledygook goes to awesome good news. And that changes everything. You have new ears. You know, this, this gospel like makes sense. Like I, my life is not working. Like where did this guilt come from? How do I deal with my guilt? I can't atone for my sins. I can't make up for, you know, balance the scales. Like, on what basis can God give me mercy? He can't just kind of sweep my stuff under the rug of the universe. Like, I need a Savior. And there's Jesus. My need, he's the Savior. Good news. New ears. Gobbledygook to 
Good news. New heart. I, I want to know God. I, I want to understand his word. Like, I, I want to love people. I used to do good things to get things. Like, I used to be this mercenary. New thoughts and then new speech, right? But we're not immediately fluent. Nobody is. And it's really easy to fall back into old patterns, isn't it? You know, we, we, we like trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to be good enough, worthy enough to be accepted. Or we're still looking for our validation and security through our work or the approval of others. That's going backwards, right? So we need full immersion for fluency. And we need to first preach to our own souls. Like, we need to get it before we're going to be able to fluently speak to others and help them get it. So the gospel is like a new language, and we need full immersion if we're really going to live with the gospel at the center. So think about it. Let's just tease this out a little bit further. So there's, do you know there's gospel grammar? Okay, think about it. There's the voice of gospel verbs. Okay? Isn't it great that the Bible is filled with passive verbs? You have been saved. <laughs> What's the implication of that? Like, God did it. I didn't. I can't take any credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. There's no boasting. Christians should be the humblest people on the planet. You see? So you, that gospel grammar gets down in and you get fluent and it humbles you. And pride just kind of gets squashed. There's, there's tense to the verbs of the gospel, the gospel grammar. The present is rooted in the past. So how do we live faithfully in this moment? We look back on the faithfulness of God to us. Our lives are more about what God has done for us than what we need to do for God. And also, the present is rooted in the future. These are these very great and precious promises. So how do you not worry and fear? Well, what, what does the Bible do? It gives you these great promises. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those are promises of grace out there in the future. If you actually believe them, do you see how that grace trickles back into the moment and enables you to be confident in him? Does that make sense? So the present is rooted in the past, looking back to the cross. I know who I am because of what Jesus has done. I don't have to prove myself today. And it's also rooted in the future. I have, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to be in want. He's going to take care of me. He's going to make good on all his promises. So we're full immersion in this gospel language, this gospel culture, so that we become fluent, saturated with the gospel. Because you know what? You are, everybody here, not just me, 
You're a preacher. Did you know that? You're actually also a counselor, and you're an advisor, and you first are all of those things to your own soul. And I've said these things before, but like, you know, we wake up in the morning, and so much of our problem is that we listen to ourselves. We get up, and there's all the what ifs, and there's worries, and all the stuff we got to do, and we get overwhelmed, and we're spinning out all these things, and anxiety takes over. We're freaking out. And instead of preaching the gospel to ourselves, we are listening to kind of an anti-gospel, <laughs> right? And we spiral. And by the time we get out of the shower, we're just like balled up in a knot. And we either get depressed and, you know, back away, or we scramble and we're going to make it happen. And we're trusting ourselves. But if you're fluent in the gospel, that stuff starts to come in, all those anxieties and threats and fears and what-ifs, and you say, okay, time out. Soul, you're going to listen to the gospel this morning because we are fluent in the gospel here, and we're going to be living in light of this narrative, this truth, not the spin and the lies and the, the threats you know, that may or may not even happen. So how many sermons do you know? How many sermons do you know for the sake of your own soul? You just think about how the psalmist does this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. And he goes on and says, here's why. He's faithful. Or bless the Lord, O my soul, because we just wake up and we don't really feel like praising God. <laughs> And you need to rehearse the gospel so that you kind of come alive again and gratitude rises up. Whining, complaining, like negativity, looking at all the, you know, everything's horrible, chicken little. Wait a second. Okay, fluent in the gospel. Forget not all his benefits. He's redeemed your life from the pit, crowned you with loving kindness, like on and on. And all of a sudden you're grateful, you're stable, and you're ready to head into the day in faith. See, you are a preacher. You're a counselor of your own soul first before anybody else. And so if some anti-gospel is winning in your own heart, you going to have anything for anybody around you? No, you'll probably actually kind of be nipping at them and biting and, you know, because there's so much unrest in here, it's going to break out. So we need to grow. We need to saturate our souls with the gospel. We need to be fluent in the gospel so that we can take care of our own hearts and we can take care of others' hearts as well. So we need to grow, don't we? Bethel, who of us doesn't need to grow? The question is, are we actively pursuing that? Are you and I actively pursuing this growth? I mean, that's the point of our whole discipleship curriculum at 9 a.m. Hopefully we had a good start. Um, communion with God class, I think, um, had a good start. But again, all of this is so that we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We just get soaked in the gospel, full immersion, so that we're fluent with it, so that we can live like Christians and we can tell other people about Jesus and help others grow in Christ as well.
If we aren't growing, something's wrong. So listen to this. Again, to tease out this fluency metaphor, have you ever had a foreigner that enters into your sphere and they kind of like do their best with English and, you know, kind of butcher it, but it's endearing, isn't it? So if someone is a newbie at the language and they butcher it, it's endearing. But then you have somebody that this is their native tongue and they're kind of like, ain't this. I'm not trying to blast anybody that's, you know, redneck. I come from Punxsutawney. So love my people, okay? But I'm just saying that's ugly. There's a way that you can just butcher languages like, ah, you ought to know better. So if we've been Christians for a while, we ought to be fluent. But if we're not, okay, we need to be growing, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, okay? So we can't afford to be grace and knowledge of Jesus minimalists. That's insane, isn't it? That's like, no, I would just like a little bit of blessing, thank you. Just a Dixie cup, you know. No, are you crazy? Like, drink, drink. There's so much here, so much grace, so much strength. No, I, I would only like a thimble. That's it. No, we can't afford to be grace and knowledge of Jesus minimalists. What if we as a church got into Jesus? Like got obsessed with Jesus. And this isn't just some like, you know, for kind of a certain personality type of a younger person. Like picture somebody that's just all in on something. Like they just love their Jeep, or they love their this, or that. It's their baby. Like, there's just everything to them. What if, that's a picture. What, what if we got into Jesus like that? So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it has been for you. But let's get obsessed with grace and with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Talk about being able to saturate our church family and our city with, with grace. So let's pray not to be grace minimalists or knowledge of Jesus minimalists, but enthusiasts. Let's be gospel enthusiasts. You know what an enthusiast is, like an aficionado? Come on. Isn't that a worthy goal? full saturation, immersion in the gospel. So, how many of you know who Malcolm Muggeridge was? A few hands, okay. So he was this well-known English journalist. I read this quote. That's just, I thought this was really helpful. So I hope it's encouragement to you. It's a, an encouragement to me to be a grace and a Jesus enthusiast. So he was actually kind of an agnostic for a long time, did some really interesting things, was a spy. He was in MI6, um, you know, World War II. And then he was this well-known journalist. And he became a Christian and wrote some really, really powerful stuff. And here's one quote. He, he was famous, too, just so you know. So he lived 1903 to 1990. 
He says, I may, I suppose, regard myself as being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the street. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the highest slopes of inland revenue. I don't know what that means. It just means he was rich. Okay. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, can partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. And then he said this, Yet I say to you, and I beg of you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together, and they are nothing. Less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draft of that living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. Don't you want to be a Jesus enthusiast? Like saturated with his grace and the knowledge of him? So what does this look like? Again, fluency, saturation, full immersion. Let's say you're envious. Some trigger, somebody out there. You start turning green. You know what I mean. I'm speaking metaphorically, of course. You guys all with me here? Okay, green, not talking about the Hulk. So let's say you're envious. What does envy do? Like, what's the narrative you're believing there? It reads the world and your circumstances and the circumstances of others through a certain grid. You're believing something is true about the world. And basically, it's, what about me? Why them? Why not me? But if we're fluent in the gospel, you start to identify and undermine the lies of that temptation, right? This world isn't a zero-sum game. <laughs> why, why do I think if they have a blessing, I can't? God's got, you know, more blessing than, what am I thinking? And you start to think about all that you have in Christ that can't be taken away from you. And you're saturating yourself with grace and with the knowledge of Jesus. And then envy melts away and gratitude and contentment start to rise. And you might even be able to rejoice with those who are rejoicing rather than... <laughs> Let's say you find yourself with a critical spirit towards someone. There's a narrative there. We have to tear them down to build ourselves up. Why? Why are you so insecure? What do you have to prove? You're not the judge. So even if it's just in your mind, or it might break out in your speech, what if you... What if you remembered how God has treated you 
What if he nitpicked you? <laughs> like, what if he treated you according to what you deserve? And you might not even be viewing things right. You might be putting stuff on them that they, they're not even guilty of. What if you began to give the benefit of the doubt? What if you had a desire to honor another human being made in the image of God, or certainly a sinner saved by grace, the way that God has honored you <laughs> rather than nitpicking you? And then what if you started to pray for that person rather than, you know, picking them apart? And what if you looked in rather than pointing the finger out and said, man, I've got a log in my eye. Look at me. I can't see clearly to, you know, pick at them. So do you see how asking in every scenario, what, what, what does the gospel have to do with this? What does Jesus have to do with this? I want to be fluent in the gospel, saturated with the grace of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus so that I can live like Jesus, following him. We've got to study the gospel. We've got to, we've got to be grace enthusiasts so that we can understand for our own hearts and then others as well. So how does, I mean, you can do this with your community group today or later this week or whenever you guys meet. Take some of the stuff you struggle with, whether it's depression or lust or fear or a tough marriage or health problems, and maybe you're angry because of the health problems or depressed because of the health problems or whatever, like whatever your issues are. Maybe, maybe it's success and pride. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's debt. Like, how does Jesus and the gospel help me with this issue? What about the gospel am I not believing? We need to start thinking and even hopefully dreaming in gospel. We need grace, folks. So needy. We are so quick to forget, so prone to wander, so, so slow to learn. But we can grow. So let's grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus with him at the center, with the gospel at the center, saturated with gospel grace and truth. All right, so we're going to close by singing Christ is mine forevermore, which is a fitting way to close. Um, but take this home. What steps does God want you to take to make this practical? How can you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and become a grace enthusiast? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you want to multiply grace and peace to us. And thank you that there is an infinite supply of grace available to us in Christ. Help us to come to him and soak and saturate our souls in his grace and truth. In his name we pray. Amen.